This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. I discovered not so long ago that uh, Francis Scott Key, who wrote the national anthem for the United States, wrote another important hymn about grace. Praise the grace who threats alarmed thee, roused thee from thy fatal ease. Praise the grace whose promise warmed thee. Praise the grace that whispered peace. In many ways, he captured the very essence of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace first alarmed us, then gave us peace. The grace woke us up first to the enormity of our sin, and the sinfulness of our sin, and the judgment upon our sin, and then forgave us in Jesus Christ. You know, today, more than any time probably in the Christian history, The word grace is no longer amazing. The word grace is no longer challenging for our Christian walk and Christian life. We have misinterpreted it. We have misused it. J.R. Packer said, today, in this kind of world we live in, grace is no longer amazing. It is boring. In this age of human rights and animal rights and every kind of rights, grace is neither needed nor appreciated. In this time, when people believe that they can be good without God, grace is no longer enthralling us. In a time when the gospel of political correctness is reigning supreme, many confuse grace with political correctness. Many confuse grace with just being nice. Now, whether you are a person who had grown to take grace for granted, or whether you're a person who have never understood the incredible, exhilarating power of the grace of God, this series of messages I'm beginning today is designed to challenge you. It is designed to change you for good and forever. This series of messages on grace is designed to heighten your appreciation for the incredible grace of God, the indescribable grace of God. This series of messages on grace is designed to challenge you to never, ever take grace for granted or use it as a license for sin. In fact, the series of messages on grace is designed that you will experience the grace of God every waking moment of every single day. It is my prayer. The grace that I will be talking about is that grace that God exclusively gives to those who are the followers of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace that is exclusively given to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that is given to those who have repented of their sins and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the kind of grace I'm going to talk about. Because theologians have another type of grace, they call it common grace. What do I mean by common grace? What do they mean by common grace? 
Common grace means that the sun shines, the Scripture said, upon the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain comes and blesses the righteous and the unrighteous. That's common grace. Common grace is that all people enjoy the beauty of God's creation, whether they are believers or not. Common grace is that all people enjoy the blessings of creation, the blessings of life, because of the common grace of God, whether they are believers or not. But the grace of God of which I'm speaking is that grace that is exclusively given to those who belong to His Son, Jesus. This grace that I'm going to talk about is uniquely lavished upon those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That grace that is unmerited favor, that you didn't have to do anything for, that was given to you freely and free of charge. Undeserved kindness that God showed toward you and showed toward me. That is the irresistible grace, an inexhaustible grace that I want to talk about Now, uh, in introducing this subject, I want to tell you something about the God of grace and the grace of God. You say, what's the difference? There is a world of difference between the two. The God of grace, the grace of God. Now, I want you to keep that distinction in your mind as we go through this series of messages. God is infinite. His grace is not. God has no end, but His grace does. God is eternal. But His grace is not. There is a time that is coming upon the world when God's grace will come to an end and judgment will be the order of the day. There is a time that is coming upon the world when God's grace will no longer be extended to humanity and justice will occupy the center stage. There is a time that is coming upon the world when God's grace will cease to operate in the world and raw judgment will be the order of the day. That day is coming. And that is why we exhorted in the Scripture again and again and again and again and again and again. Please receive the grace of God while it is may be found. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Don't get too busy with life and forget and neglect the grace that's available to you. And I want you to listen very carefully as we keep that distinction in mind. The grace of God and the God of grace. Being a trained sociologist, I'm I'm able to think in, in terms of what's going on in the minds and hearts of people everywhere, particularly in our Western culture, as well as understand the Scripture And I come to the conclusion that one of the hardest concepts to convey to a generation that has everything is the graciousness of God. One of the most difficult concepts to convey to a generation that feels that the world owes them something is the graciousness of God. One of the most difficult teaching to be embraced by this generation that feels that they have the right to everything, (laughs) is the graciousness of God. You see, our generation is the just-leave-me-alone generation. Our generation is the generation that is so-what generation. Our generation is the generation that is who cares? Have you ever heard those things? I sure hear them all the time. This is the generation that easily get bored with life, 
This is a restless generation. This is a, a discontented generation. This generation takes everything for granted. This is a generation that does not marvel at anything anymore. Believe me, as a communicator of God's truth, I am only too aware of the challenge. I'm only too aware of it. But nonetheless, we are to constantly revel in the God of grace and the grace of God. We are to constantly be enthralled by that grace that is given to us so freely. In order to understand the God of grace and the grace of God, it will help you live above life's mediocrity. To understand the grace of God and the God of grace, it will help you live above the humdrum of life. I want to tell you something. The grace of God and the knowledge of that grace is the greatest thing that you can remember in the midst of your troubles. It is the greatest thing to remember in the midst of your difficulties. It is the greatest thing that you can remember in the midst of your disease and sickness. It is the greatest thing because it's going to lift you up so high. I know because I practice focusing on the grace of God on a daily basis. And the first time we encounter the God of grace is in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And there we're going to encounter the God of grace in the Garden of Eden. That's the first encounter we have with the God of grace. And we're going to keep going as we go through the series of messages and we go through the New Testament. I'm going to share some, some things with you you may never heard before. Here in the garden, Adam and Eve had the perfect job. <laughs> I mean, they had the perfect job environment. They had loving and caring co-workers. At least I'm assuming they loved each other. You know, Adam and Eve had to work together. In fact, I remember a lady told me years ago when her husband was retiring, she said, uh, you know, I told my husband, I said, I married you for better, for worse, but not for lunch. <laughs> well, Adam and Eve were having lunch every day. <laughs> and in one of those lunches, they got into trouble. <laughs> Here's what they were told. They were told by the Lord, everything belongs to you. Everything is yours. Run the whole thing. You are in charge of everything. Only one thing, and that is the tree in the middle of the garden. The fruit of that you do not touch. Everything in the world is theirs, except for that tree and its fruit. Let me just stop here for a minute and warn those of us, all of us, those of us who say, that if I only have this or that, I'll be fulfilled? You won't. You can have the whole world, and the one thing you could not have, you want. Try this for size with your children. Get a bunch of boxes, and tell them that they can open all the boxes except for that box. <laughs> Just watch them. Which box do they want to open first? The one you told them not to open. I mean, it's like a, a dog with a peanut butter on his lip. I mean, a counselor. Got, I mean, just <laughs> can't rest until you open the one that says don't open. I mean, that's, that's what's happening here in the garden. I mean, you know, just twitching. They want the one that they were told not to have. So they ate from the tree. But you know what the bottom line is? The bottom line 
is that Adam and Eve were offended that God told them what to do. They did not like to be told what to do. And if that sounds familiar, write your name down. (laughs) They were offended just as millions of people throughout the world today are offended that there is an only one holy, mighty, and powerful God. They were offended just as millions of people throughout the world today are offended that we have only one sovereign God over the universe. They were offended just as millions of people today who are offended with the fact that there is only one exclusive way to heaven. There is only one exclusive way to God through Jesus Christ. There is only one exclusive way that God said He will save people. They were offended. They really were offended. Here's what Adam and Eve were saying. (laughs) Adam and Eve were saying, what do you mean we can't eat from this tree? this is my garden, and God said so. I'm in charge here, and God said so. Yes, that's half truth. That's what God said, but that's not all what God said. You see, deception always starts with half truth. God said you're in charge, but not this tree. You don't touch it. Just as millions of Christians are offended by the fact that God says, I am going to bless you and give you everything, but the tithe belongs to the Lord. Oh, they don't like that one. What do you mean? It's mine. No, it's not. It's really all His. But He gave you in charge of 90% of it. Please hear me right. This attitude of Adam and Eve is not unlike the pluralistic gospel of political correctness of that religion that's preached today. Where people say, what do you mean there is only salvation through Jesus Christ alone? What do you mean that there is only one way to heaven? What do you mean God cannot be inclusive and tolerant for whatever we want, whatever we believe, whichever way we live? What do you mean that there is absolute, and there are absolutes, there's right and there's wrong? What do you mean that only the followers of Jesus Christ are going to heaven? I think that is the thought that prompted Ted Turner at the United Nations to say that Christianity is a bigoted religion. He couldn't be more wrong as far as I'm concerned. There is no faith like the Christian faith when it comes to the grace of God. I'm going to tell you a lot more about this next message. There is no faith that send people out with love and compassion to serve the needy and the poor throughout the world like the Christian faith. There is no faith like that. There is no faith that you come to God as a sinner deserving hell and God said, I'm going to set you free because you came to me my way. There is no such faith exists. And people saying, who do we believe? You believe the word of God. People are going around saying, let me decide within me what is right and what is wrong. And that's what Adam and Eve did, and that's why they ate. Beloved friends, I want to tell you, here's really the crux of the problem. God said, you eat from this tree, and you die. Satan said, you eat from the tree, and you're going to live. And you take your pick. (laughs) I really don't think... Eve immediately says, well, I'm going to side with Satan. I really don't think that happened because of the continuous tense there. I won't bore you with the details. I think he kept coming, he kept coming, kept telling her, kept telling her. 
But I really think Eve came to a point in her life of saying, I'm going to decide for myself. I really am going to decide. I'm going to test this and I'm going to see how it's going to work. So she decided to submit the fruit to her own decision-making process. But is it not the American way? <laughs> That's very chic to do, isn't it? Everybody is an individualistic and we're going to know. We know what is right and what is wrong. It's a very modern idea. It's never modern at all. Let me be the judge. Let me be the decision-maker. No. I want to tell you something up front before I tell you about the tests that Eve went through. On the issues that are settled in the Scripture, on the things that God called wrong, if you ever, ever fall in the temptation of trying to decide for yourself ten times out of ten, you're going to fall for the temptation. Ten times out of ten, you're going to eat from the tree if you try to subject it to your own testing, to your own mind. Ten out of ten. It never fails. Eve decided to put the fruit under a pragmatic test. I just want to check its nutritional value. <laughs> we big on that, aren't we? <laughs> and then she decided to put it under aesthetic value. Would it look nice in the living room? <laughs> Would it look nice in the house, you know? Then she decided to put it under an intellectual test. Will I gain experience? <laughs> Will I gain new insight? <laughs> Will I become wiser and more careful? Needless to say, of course, that the fruit, as far as Eve was concerned, passed all those tests. <laughs> Not only that, but she shared the good news with her husband. <laughs> From that time on, these facets of the one temptation are being repeated on a daily basis with precision, with precision, millions of times, millions of times on a daily basis. The facets, what are they? Number one, God is not good. If He's good, He would not tell me to do something that I don't want to do. He would not tell me not to do something that I want to do. God must not want me to be happy. Facet number two. God may have given us the Bible, but the Bible is at odds with modern science. The Bible is at odds with modern psychology. Therefore, the Bible must be wrong. Facet number three. Unless I can be free to do whatever I want, I cannot be truly fulfilled in life. Mingle those in your mind, mill over them, mix them together, and you're going to find that these are the essence of temptation. All of temptation. Adam and Eve's temptation is precisely the temptation of today. It's not change, it's the same devil. Their disobedience and fall is the true picture of the state of all of humanity without Jesus Christ. Their rebellion is against the Almighty God. Their rebellion against the Word of God. Their rebellion against the authority of God. Their rebellion is against the Word and the command of God. But that's not the whole story. I want to tell you something. 
whether these intellectual elites who place themselves above God like it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, God owns the universe. And he's going to run his universe any which way he wants. And most times they ain't going to like it. But that's okay with God. You see, God's justice requires that sin must be judged. That's the justice of God. God's justice required that sin must be punished. That is the justice of God. The book of Ezekiel said, The soul that sins, it shall die. It's Old New Testament, the whole Bible. From the beginning, God said to Adam and Eve, the day you touch it, you're going to die. That's justice. Do you know how that works? Try to go to work tomorrow morning and just put your feet up and tell the boss you ain't going to work. Well, he might be just nice and let you get away with it one day, try to help you out. But try it another day. Or a fourth day, fifth day. You'll be fired. That's justice. (laughs) You break the law, you go to prison. That's justice. God said to Adam and Eve that refusal to do what God said to do leads to death and no amounts of excuses are going to help. They're just not going to help. That's the justice of God. See, you have to understand the justice of God before you can understand the grace of God. You really do. Because without understanding the justice of God, grace will be no, of no consequence to you. Do you know what Adam and Eve's excuse really was? I know, I know what they said. <laughs> but do you know who really they were blaming for their rebellion and disobedience? Yeah, they were blaming God. God, you gave me this woman. You gave it to me. <laughs> it's your problem. It's your fault. He goes to Eve and Eve says, well, it's your fault. You created this creature. Listen, the devil made me do it. That is not a modern day excuse. It's like the, the mom who kept telling her son, you know, don't put your hand in the, in the jam, jar. And, and she just kept telling him, kept telling him one day. And she said, uh, you know, if you ever fall into temptation, just say to the devil, devil, get behind me. Get behind me. So she comes home one day, and sure enough, he jammed all over his face. She said, what did I tell you to do? He said, well, mom, I did. I told the devil to get behind me, and he pushed me into the jam jar. <laughs> Adam said, it's your fault, God. Eve said, it's your fault, God. And we're blaming God ever since. Even, you notice how the, even people don't believe in God? They always say, attack God when things go bad in their lives. <laughs> I mean, how come you attack somebody that you don't believe in? But you hear it all the time. And you know what? We've been making those same excuses ever since. Well, I'm sure probably some of you by now are saying, now wait a minute, where is that grace he's going to talk about? He's... He said he's going to talk about grace. Well, that's a good question. See, what I'm doing is I am putting up the screen of sin before I can project grace on it. I am painting the picture of sin before you can see the light of grace. For it is only in the context of sin will you appreciate, understand, be exhilarated by the grace of God. And you see... The reason I said I'm taking time to paint this picture, explain to you about sin, which every one of us inherited from Adam and Eve, every 
baby is born, the first word they'll learn is no. And, and the reason that, that that rebellion is in our hearts, you see, we've, we've got it by inheritance and we got it by practice. And that is why, listen to me carefully, please, modern-day deception of Satan in the world today is to blur sin. To blur sin. See, once he blurs sin, there's no need for grace. Am I right? So if he can get people, if he can get everybody saying, well, there's no such thing as sin. If really sin is not a sin, it's just a mistake. And who doesn't make a mistake? Everybody makes a mistake, you know. Everybody makes a mistake. I mean, you don't need grace. You just keep making mistakes. That's why he likes to blur sin and the consequences of sin and the danger of sin and the enormity of sin and the sinfulness of sin. Watch it. Watch it in the movies. Watch it on television. It is there all the time, blurring sin. If he can deceive people into believing that God is in all of us, and therefore each one of us should be guided by his or her own feelings, then there's no need for grace. And then when we get into trouble, of course, we try to make excuses like, just like Adam and Eve did. But no amount of excuses are going to help in the day of judgment. If you reject the grace of God today, all the excuses in the world are not going to help you. And that is why the Bible said today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable day. When they hear the voice of God, don't reject it. Don't silence it. Don't stop it and say, I'm too busy with life right now. I want to tell you three very quick things about the God of grace and see how he dealt with sin and rebellion. First, Adam and Eve did not immediately die. That's the first act of grace. Justice said they must die. God's grace came and says, yes, spiritually they will die, but physically I'm going to spare them. That's what the grace of God does. God said, the day you eat from the tree, that day you die. That's justice. As I said, you break the law, you go to prison. That's justice. But grace comes in and says, I will give you time to repent. Let grace work one more time. And God is going to give them time. Time to do what? Time to believe on the Savior that is coming to the world. You say, how can you get that from Genesis chapter 3 that Jesus is coming into the world? What is it actually in verse 15? I want to tell you something. Today, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're still alive, and I'm assuming you are because you're listening to me, (laughs) you only have one reason why you're still alive, and that is that God may give you another opportunity to hear of the message of the grace of God And believe in Him. And turn to Him. That's why you're still alive today. Secondly, the God of grace promised them a Redeemer. Why? To undo Satan's deception. Look at verse 15 of Genesis 3. Here is the first announcement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark it there in your Bible. Verse 15 of Genesis 3. Adam and Eve... 
at the time did not comprehend all that God is saying about the coming Redeemer, about the coming Savior who's going to be the descendant of Eve. They did not comprehend all that. But they knew enough. They understood enough. And we have several evidence for that. The reason they named their first son Cain, because Cain means, here he is. He must be the Savior that he told us is coming. can imagine the horrors on there. In their lives when they discovered that their son was the first murderer. And not the one that God had promised them to come and undo Satan's deception. And bring grace to those who acknowledge their sins. It took thousands of years before you hear the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. In the words of Gabriel to Mary. And you shall call him Jesus. Because he shall save his people from their sins. God always fulfills his promises. No matter how long it take. And that is why you look again after verse 20 there. You see it. It's Adam names his wife Eve. Actually more accurate translation means life giver or the giver of life. Why? Why did he name her that? Because... Of the promise that God just made to Adam. That he's going to send a life-giving Savior. That he's going to send a life-giving Redeemer through Eve. And through her descendants. And this was Adam's way of responding to the grace of God. When he named her Eve, he was saying to God, Oh God, I blew it in the garden. I'm not going to blow it this time. Oh God, I have refused to take hold of your word in the garden. I disobeyed you, but I will not this time. I'm going to believe in what you said. I'm going to believe that you are sending a Savior into the world. Not only that the God of grace did not let them die as they should have, not only that the God of grace gave them the promise of the Redeemer, but thirdly, the God of grace saved our first parents. How? Verse 21 of Genesis 3. We are told that after Adam and Eve believed in God, watch the sequence here, after they believed in God, the Lord made garments of skin, and He clothed them with those garments. And to do that, Adam and Eve had to witness the first slaying of an innocent animal. And the first shedding of blood in history of creation. Beloved friends, listen. The very first lesson in grace was that the innocent dies for the guilty. And it was thousands of years later that we can comprehend and understand that it was the perfect, sinless, holy, righteous, innocent Son of God that would have His blood shed on Calvary so that whomsoever comes to Him in repentance and faith, believing in Him, will be saved. You and I are the guilty sinners. And the innocent was slain. And when He was slain on the cross of Calvary, He gave all those who believed in Him, all those who follow Him, A garment of righteousness. And it is that garment of righteousness that makes us acceptable to God the Father. It is that garment of righteousness that makes us justified before God the Father. Not all the good works in the world will ever get you there. 
only the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed on you and on me. I thought about this long and hard, and I thought this must have been a mind-boggling experience for Adam and Eve to witness the slaying of an innocent animal. My beloved friends, the grace of God is always mind-boggling. Problem is, we don't take time to reflect on how mind-boggling it is. It is always mind-boggling to those who've experienced it. Adam and Eve expected to die. Adam and Eve deserved to die. Adam and Eve should have died. But the God of grace, instead, they found life. And God is offering eternal life through His Son even now. Being surprised by the grace of God should be the story of every one who have experienced the grace of God. Being continuously and constantly awed by the grace of God should be the lifestyle of every disciple of Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? If there's one person here who could say, I've never experienced the grace of God, I've I've never experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, although I may be a churchman or churchwoman for years. Today you can say, Lord Jesus, I come to you. There's some here today who can say, God, I know I'm saved by grace alone, but oh, I have taken your grace for granted. I have used your grace as a license to sin. I've used your grace as an excuse for not having victory over sin. Lord, I come. Father, we thank you that you never reject anyone who genuinely and truly turn to you. And Father, as we come to you, knowing that you know us better than we know ourselves, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Oh God, I pray that you will strengthen us to daily know every moment of every day be surprised by your grace. Be awed by your grace. For it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.